Father, we come today because we want and we need to worship you. We need to be with each other and we long to hear from you. Some of us are weary from a very long week. Some come exhausted with the burdens placed in their paths. Others have experienced great blessings this week. Father, wherever we find ourselves, we would ask that you would lead us on your path. Would you give us your joy and your peace? Father, would you teach us by your spirit this morning? Would you fill our hearts with the Lord Jesus? Give us ears to hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, as you can tell, we're entering into our missions season today. We're talking about our neighbors near and far. And today we're going to be looking specifically at our neighbors near. Ephesians 2.17 says, And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off. And that's all of us, and he's brought us near. And peace to those who were near also. Near and far, he preached peace. In addressing our neighbors near, let me ask you a few questions. Are you aware of people near to you who are hurting? Perhaps in our own homes, our neighborhoods, our church, our city. A couple more questions. Who's your neighbor? What kind of neighbor are you? Do you show neighbor love? What kind of church do you want? Do you want a rescue mission or a posh club? The church, by definition, is completely filled with sinners saved by grace. Broken people redeemed and now called saints. We are a people who still stumble and fall, and yet we repent and we move forward by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And we hold our heads high because of the amazing work that he has done in our lives. We are here for ourselves, for others, and for the glory of God. We are here to love as we have been loved, and that is the church. So let's dig in to our passage today. Jesus, we know, was one of the most or the most powerful teacher that ever walked the face of the earth. You remember in Matthew 7, as the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. His very enemies said he spoke as one having authority, power. Regarding parables, which we will see this morning, Jesus used many parables to apply the scriptures to his audience and to teach new things, or better said, to drive home his desired point. Parables illustrate. The parable is something that is thrown alongside of. The paralegal is at the side of the attorney. Now, I know there's a joke to make there, but I'm not going to make it because I know a lot of really, really nice attorneys. The paramedic is one who comes alongside the doctor. The parable is an illustration, a story that comes alongside to drive home a truth. So you have a truth, and Jesus now throws an illustration by way of parable. And it was for those who had ears to hear. Matthew Henry, a commentator, says this about parables. Um, he says, 
that they make the things of God more plain and easy to those willing to be taught, and at the same time more difficult and obscure to those who are willfully ignorant. That is, those who are choosing not to believe God's word. May we this morning be willing to be taught, having ears to hear. Jesus uses parables generally found in the gospel alone to teach about his kingdom. What does his kingdom look like? And are we going to be active participants in it or simply observers of that? Some of us might look at a laborer in a ditch shoveling and say, why don't you throw the dirt over there? Or why don't you scoop the shovel this way? Well, may we be a people who just don't give advice but, and suggestions, but people who are willing to jump in the ditch and get dirty ourselves. We don't all jump in the same ditch or dig with the same type of tools Um, There are a thousand ways that we are to love each other and our neighbors. I had a thought this week that um, what would life be like if we spent less time on social media and more time in God's word? What would our lives be like? Social media, amazing good and amazing not so good. Um, The average person in the U.S., and this is something that I've talked to my kids about a lot, will spend two hours a day on social media, which translate in our lifetimes to over five years. The problem is we don't consider ourselves average. Many of us think we are above average. I hope um, that this is not one of those areas that we find ourselves there. But have you ever spent two hours in one day in God's word. What if we tried that sometime? I was thinking this week about my routine when I get up in the morning and I'll spare you most of it, but I asked, do I turn to God's word or to the news, the latest events around our broken world? What would it be like to seek our great God daily and to be then put the events of life and world through his perspective rather than the other way around. Think about it. My guess, my certain certainty is that our relationships would be much better. Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Why do we satiate ourselves with all kinds of stuff and everybody else's opinion? His are the ones that matter. God's word, amazing good and amazing good, whatever side you turn to. But we do have to open it up. So do we have ears to hear this morning? Luke 10, hear the word of God is found in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus, said to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus is asked two questions here. He answers one with a question and one with a parable. The first question from the lawyer is this, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer here is testing Jesus. He's asking what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, but he's trying to trap Jesus to be able to accuse him. But it is a flawed question because everyone knows that if you have inherited anything in your life, did you have to do something to to inherit it? No. You received the inheritance as a gift given to you because of who you are, perhaps a relative or a friend. The lawyer's first misunderstanding is that he thought he could earn his salvation. Have you ever had someone tell you that he or she did not have what it takes to earn his salvation? I have numerous times, but the one that's most memorable was someone very, very close to me, convinced that he was not good enough, not educated enough, not smart enough, in his mind, simply not good enough. And when he said that, I said, bingo. No one is good enough or smart enough. That's the point of the gospel of grace that we see once again this morning. No one merits or deserves eternal life. It's a free gift that's given to us. The question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's see how Jesus responds. Jesus answers with his own question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And it's interesting how the legal expert responds. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that Jesus answered with the very same verses when he was asked, what is the most important commandment in the law in Matthew 22? This answer sums up the whole law, love God and love man. But what the lawyer thinks is that by keeping those teachings, he will gain eternal life by his own effort. This sets the context for the parable which Jesus is about to give. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this 
and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, still trying to earn eternal life, asked his second question. Jesus, he asked, and who is my neighbor? Jesus responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. The master teacher gives his parable. And it is a concept that's known throughout the world today in all areas of the world. There are Good Samaritan societies and clubs and agencies and hospitals and churches. It's a concept many understand, but it goes so much deeper. We have a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a desolate, treacherous, dangerous journey, only about 15 miles, but drops about 3,000 feet. He's robbed, beaten, stripped, and left for dead. Now remember that Jesus is responding to the lawyer's question, and who is my neighbor? He says this. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The first one coming along is a priest. Surely a priest is going to help one in such need. Now, many would speculate that because of all the ceremonial laws in Judaism, the priest simply did not want to become unclean and have to go through the rituals that were involved in cleansing. Now, the second person coming along is a Levite. Well, what's the difference between a priest and a Levite? All priests were Levites from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites were priests. Many were assistants, helpers to the priest, and had responsibilities in the tabernacle. But likewise, the Levite saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. You know, it's hard to read this passage about these two passing by and not ask yourselves, what would I do? Would I take the time to get dirty? Would I be fearful of my own safety? Would I not want to inconvenience myself? I've asked that, and a story came to mind. One time driving out of Mexico years ago with Rita and then baby Joseph, so you know it was many years ago, actually on a road very much like that road to Jericho, very desolate. We came around a bend in the road, and we're one of the first cars to come upon an 18-wheeler that had turned over. And there was fire coming out of the cab um, near the diesel tanks. And the screams of the driver were horrific. You want to know what your pastor did? I grabbed my camera and I took pictures of the inferno. I lived with images, not that I'd taken, but images in my mind for a very, very long time. I don't have a great memory for past events or conversations, but I remember telling Rita after that, to please forgive me if I ever get killed trying to save someone in need. I don't like to get out of my comfort zone. I don't like getting dirty. I don't like danger, but we live in a world of great need. 
The drama here in this story keeps building. Who's coming next? The lawyer would only have expected the neighbor or the next person to, to be a Jewish person in answer to who is the neighbor. Maybe a layman, since it was two religious guys already who didn't do anything. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. The expert in the law would have fallen off his seat that the one who helped was a Samaritan. That was shocking. It was outrageous. It was scandalous. For the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were from the line of the Hebrews who had married pagans. And the Hebrews and Samaritans did not like each other. In fact, they really hated each other. The Good Samaritan saw the one in need. When he saw him, we are told, he didn't divert his eyes. He did not walk around him. A friend recently told some of us that in describing his avoidance techniques, when he's at the interstate exits and the homeless one is there, how he checks out the seat material um, on the passenger seat over here and very um, quietly tries to figure out if the doors are locked on the car. I can relate. Most of us probably can. Do we allow ourselves to see the needs around us? The Good Samaritan also had compassion. Our office workers a couple weeks back had a lady come in and she was in great need. And many of those in the office, I was out at the time, I heard the beauty of their trying to come alongside of her and blessed her in an amazing way. I know of some young business owners who had an employee whose home was broken into recently and robbed. The young daughter's new Christmas bicycle and all of her clothing were taken. They rallied the troops to help. Our office workers here and those business owners saw and had compassion and they responded like the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, next point, sought to meet the need. He went on, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Let me tell you about our Greek friends in Athens and what they did and do to bless their near neighbors and their new neighbors. Even before the refugee crisis, there was unrest in the city. The anarchists and others were rioting one time and they broke the windows in the beautiful church building there. And Pastor Yotas tells of the time the congregation came into the building and they were trying to process, how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our loved one? How do we protect our building and fix our building? And what God put on Yotas's heart was a beautiful thing. He said, those windows are not broken 
for a bad reason. Those windows are broken so that we would go out with compassion and minister to those very people. And so they went out from that beat up church to enter into the brokenness. And there is a vibrant, growing church established in the anarchist community where Tim and Alex and their families now are. The same area Allison Walker will be going to. Then the immigrants come. The new near neighbors come. Remember, there's severe financial crisis. Over, over 50% unemployment for those under 25 years of age. And they say, we want to minister to these people. They open a ministry center in Victoria Square right there. It says, immigrants are welcome. That's where the refugees congregate. They have fed them, provided medical care to them, housed them. Then Pastor George and Phaedra in his church are doing great things with the refugees, housing them. Some have embraced the Lord. And I could go on and on and on talking about how they have loved near neighbors and how we loving far neighbors, which is next week, have been able to partner together with them. Another beautiful story, though, at Christmas time, we went to the children's home in Acapulco. You gave shoes and gifts, and we were in our party with them. And I was taking pictures as they were receiving the shoes. And I look down, and I see some shoes and a pair of very, very white feet. And I look up to see Aurelio, a driver from the home who grew up in the home, and Taylor, our high school youth worker, ministering right here. But I said, Taylor, why are you barefoot? It had not registered with me yet. And he matter-of-factly told me that he could not find shoes for Aurelio. So he gave him his shoes. That is seeing and having compassion and meeting the needs. What about you and me? Do you see the ones in need? Do you have compassion? Do you seek to meet the needs in tangible ways? Jesus asked the lawyer, which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The legal expert, some believe, couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. The Samaritan was the one who helped. Go and do likewise, we are told. I want to share with you this morning um, how you as a church have loved your neighbors near And how you can be involved with some of the near neighbor needs that we have internally as a church and also locally in our community. Ministries that we support and love for many years and have partnered with for many years. Um, I'm going to ask those who have um, displays over here on this area, which are some of our near neighbors, if they would um, line up here. And we're going to ask them a few questions this morning and let them tell us about their ministry and how they could use volunteers. So um, let me, David, if you would give that to Vicki. Y'all come this way a little bit more in the light. There you go. That's good. Y'all come on over and you can just pass the mic down. My name is Vicki Matthews and I'm the director of Choices Women's Clinic. 
Thank you for being the founding church 34 years ago of what was True Life Choice, now Choices. And we have at our pregnancy medical clinic a really great need for volunteer advocates who are lay women who will um, help bring the women through an intake process, kind of like a doctor's office, and definitely uh, nurses and sonographers to help with that as well. Good morning. My name is Jonathan Lyon. I'm the director of behavioral health care at Grace Medical Home. I'm also a deacon here at Orangewood Church. Um, with one of my associates, Stephanie, here from Grace Medical. Uh, Grace is a primary and specialty care medical clinic that serves the underserved and uninsured uh, patients below 200% of the federal poverty level that don't qualify for medical insurance. We have about 4,000 patients, and we are in great need of volunteers, both clinical and non-clinical, people to join our spiritual care pastoral team, as well as mental health, uh, various specialties, nurses, front desk workers, etc. We have more information about those opportunities at our table, and I thank you if you'd come and visit us between services. My name is Beverly Brown, and I represent Keeping Up for Redeeming Light, and Orange County Public Schools, unfortunately, suspends about 25,000 students a year, and those children are sometimes sent home, so we provide transitional education during that time when they're out. We work with their home schools to get their work to them, and we uh, give them behavior modification techniques, and then we send them back to school after their suspension. We need volunteers to come alongside these children and mentor them. I'm Judy Walker, and I volunteer with Orlando Children's Church, a very near ministry. It's right here in Maitland. You've seen the colored buses driving around town on Saturday morning with a angels' wings on the side, and they go to all parts of Orlando and get needy children from some of the poorest places in Orlando and bring them right here to Maitland on Saturday morning from 9.30 to 11.30, and we need lots of volunteers. There are between two and 400 children that come, and you can just come. You don't need any particular skills. <laughs> just come and minister to the children. Good morning. I'm Elizabeth Lynn. I'm from the Orlando Union Rescue Mission. We are one of Central Florida's oldest and largest homeless service providers, and we are completely privately funded. Um, so we, we need help with volunteers, with our kids, with administration, with lawn care, um, pretty much anything you can imagine we need help with. So uh, one of the things that you can do in addition to coming down to volunteer is we just need prayers. Um, so if you can pray for our guests who are living with us um, while they're at our family home or our men's home, prayer is a huge thing that you can help with. Morning. Uh, my name is Eric Stites, and first I have the privilege of uh, living in the Paramore community just west of downtown uh, with my wife and three sons. Uh, but I also get to lead a ministry called New City Paramore, uh, and our goal is pretty simple. Uh, we're desiring to raise up leadership um, from within uh, that community who have shared experiences, understand the needs of their own community far better than I do. Um, and, uh, and we're doing that right now primarily through an after-school program. Uh, and so we uh, are looking for uh, folks like you to help uh, tutor elementary uh, school kids uh, in simple reading and math. Um, we, we work every day from Monday to Thursday, 4.15 to 5.30. We ask folks to come once a week, once every other week. So if you'd like to talk about that, love to talk to you about it. Thanks. 
Good morning. My name is Chad Phillips. I'm the uh, president with Elevate Orlando, and we work in partnership with Orange County Public Schools in the neighborhoods of Paramore, Pine Hills, and Holden Heights. And really what we want to accomplish is we want our students that we work with in mentor relationships to understand that God has a plan for their life, and we really want to help them realize that plan. So we do that through mentoring, through in-school programs, um, and really just helping them figure out what are they going to do after they graduate from high school. And so the way we really need help is we have guest speakers that come into our classrooms and talk about what they do in their day-to-day lives and just really kind of help these kids see what all the opportunities there are for them to pursue. And then another way is we also do job shadow programs where we actually go into your place of business with some of our students so they can just see the day-to-day. So those are two wonderful ways you can help us. Thank you. My name is Greg Holtzauer. Uh, Louise and I uh, facilitate a course in personal financial management that is aimed at the working poor. Uh, it's called Faith and Finances. It's a 10-week course. The folks that, that are participating in our class typically have an income level between ten dollars and $15,000 a year. It's a 10-week course. It's twice a year. Um, what we can use are allies Simply folks that come alongside those in the course, take it with them, kind of as para-participants. Joe used the word para earlier. Para-participants and encourage them and walk alongside them and share your experiences even as they share theirs. Uh, There's no preparations necessary. Honestly, all it takes is to get outside your comfort zone a little bit and walk alongside these folks for 10 weeks. And you just might find, as about 20 other folks from Orange would have found, that your comfort zone has an annex at Faith and Finances. Good morning, everyone. I'm Mark Stanikus. I'm the president of Jobs Partnership, and we help people discover a path to the job that they were made for. Uh, through our 12-week LifeWorks training course, which is offered over here at Killarney Elementary School starting at the end of February, uh, we're helping people uh, develop a biblical understanding of work along with career planning skills, and then we connect them to our network of employers and training providers so they can pursue that job. We need volunteers to serve as coaches. Uh, You can mentor someone through this 12-week training process. So stop by the table, and we'll love to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, These are some of your ministry partners that you've supported for years. Some of you have been involved in their ministries. Thank you for the work you do in loving our neighbors near. Let me encourage you after the service to go by and speak to them outside. We also have many of our internal ministries, which need volunteers also. And I would love to encourage you to do that. We're all gifted by the Lord in some capacity. How are you gifted? Some ministries, as you heard, need some really trained people with certain skills. But many ministries, as we heard, need a warm body, a loving heart, a smile, How far in the game are you? Are you watching? Are you sitting on the bench? Are you in the game? This game that we're talking about does not play with nine players or 11 players or five players. The field of play needs everybody. In fact, this is perhaps the only sport which needs all the players on the field at the same time. We would say that would be chaos. No, it's beautiful. And of course, it's not a sport. It's a family not playing a game, but serving others in need. Another name for that is the church, the body of Christ. Where might you serve? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of the family and we're all on the same team. 
As you leave here today, would you pass by and learn more and see if one of these ministries might be right with you? There are so many needs. Let me close with this. What's the motivation for you? I don't want it to be guilt. And I could guilt you. Imposed guilt by another is not a good motivator. My kids tell me that I have a look. And it tends to produce guilt and shame in them. And I believe them. And I don't like that about myself. I'm not going to show you pictures or tell you stories that would elicit pity. Not a good motivator. I want you to be motivated by one thing. And that is the love of God. You and I have been rescued by the ultimate, the supreme Good Samaritan. Do you understand that you and I are that beaten, needy one on the road? Or to say it another way, Scotty Smith would say, when you first revealed the gospel to me, I wasn't beaten and broken alongside the road. I was running from you as fast as I could. Seeing ourselves as that one, experiencing the compassion of Jesus is the only thing that allows us to feel compassion toward another and then to love our neighbor. So before all else, see yourself as that man stripped and robbed or running, rescued by the Samaritan, the one we know also was despised, the man named Jesus. Yet it is that despised one who rescues us. We could not save ourselves any more than the one lying helpless on the road to Jericho. That's where we started reading today. We can't earn eternal life. That was our lives. Before Jesus invaded us, snatched us up, brought us to his bosom and said, I love you. I redeem you. And he gives us our inheritance of eternal life. Now is the one rescued. Look fresh at this story and ask yourself, do you see the need? Do you have compassion? Do you seek to meet the need? Right now, in the life of our church, we could pull back and huddle together, which we need to do certainly to some degree. Just like our friends in Greece, they wanted to do that. But it's also, at the same time, we are active and we are on the offensive in going out and loving this world in need. It's all around us. The love of Christ compels us to go out. We don't have broken windows, but we have open doors. And we have a world of need before us. May we love our near neighbors. He who has ears, let him hear. Child of God, rescued, redeemed. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Let us pray. Father, we are broken and bruised. We're foreigners and strangers to your grace, or at least we were. Yet we are now redeemed by the Supreme Samaritan. May we, as your servants, have compassion and meet the needs of those who are hurting and broken, those who are struggling, whether they are in our midst or whether they are in our neighborhoods or families. 
Father, in fact, we find ourselves in that number of the broken and bruised, and we come humbly, casting ourselves at your feet once more. We know we need the Lord, and we praise you for your infinite love and grace. Thank you for the meal that we are about to receive. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.